0: Support comes from Empower Missouri's Week of Action with in-person and virtual advocacy training for affordable housing, criminal justice, and food security initiatives, March 25th through 28th. Registration at empowermissouri.org
1: WOA.
2: Daniela Velasquez has gotten a crash course in the realities and opportunities of St. Louis politics. She was recently elected as the alderwoman for the Sixth Ward and has joined a shrunken board of aldermen that is dealing with a raft of challenges. Velasquez joins us for the latest episode of Politically Speaking to talk about the board's big priorities and some hypothetical ideas to spend a settlement emanating from the departure of the St. Louis Rams. Let's hit the music. This is Politically Speaking, the definitive show about politics in the St. Louis region.
1: I thought this was an opportunity
2: to have a new voice in that seat. And the decisions I make in county government allows me to help people in large groups, and I enjoy it. We're not using it as a wedge issue, we're using it more as a, you know, what's right for the region conversation.
1: We need to know what the issues are in our communities in order to address them.
0: Because people want to see change and they want to see a St. Louis that works for everyone.
1: Some days I need to credit, most days I don't, but most importantly, I have to be able to control how this environment is going to evolve.
0: We knew that in races that, that have multiple candidates, the only way you win is in the streets.
2: And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in studio, she covers all things city government, justice, everything else. Whatever they else. tell me
0: to do. Rachel Lipman.
2: And joining us for the first time, she is the Alderwoman for St. Louis's Sixth Ward,
1: Daniela Velasquez.
2: It is wonderful to have two. Missouri Tiger Journalism School graduates uh, to outnumber the Northwestern uh, journalism graduate in this room, by the way. I
1: totally agree. <laughs>
2: my My <laughs> wife would not agree, um, obviously, since she also went to Northwestern. But that, we're not here to talk about J School, though we may talk about that a little bit because it is part of your background. But before we ask you about who you are and how you got into this world of St. Louis politics, just to remind our, our listeners what the Sixth Ward encompasses.
1: Right. So, well, thank you for having me here. The Sixth Ward is uh, the neighborhoods of Shaw, Tower Grove South, Compton Heights, and a little bit of Dutch Town. So South City, but not too far south. So, kind of in and around the Tower
0: Grove Park, parts of Tower Grove Park, what I like to refer to as the Park Wards. The Park Wards. It's <laughs> the park all, wards, it's yeah.
1: all, that's our, that is our big park in the ward. Yes.
2: Do you have the Botanical
1: Garden? I do not. Oh. I will have, the Sixth Ward I think will also have the Uh, most dog parks in the city when it's all said and done. So we have one in Shaw. There's one, there is a not often used, maybe after this uh, airs one in Compton Hill. I was going to say,
0: do you want to spoil that for the dogs that do go there?
1: (laughs) Well, not many do, I hear. Well, now that they know about it, Now though. that they know about it. So Compton Hill, don't be mad at me. <laughs> oh,
2: just just, just uh, all, the, all the canines that listen to this show now know that. But <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself, and and what were you doing before you decided to run for Alderwoman late, earlier this year?
1: Sure. So I, um, my background is, as Jason mentioned, uh, journalism and communications. And before that, I was uh, a vice president of uh, uh, Fleischman-Hillard, uh, doing public relations and a lot of DE&I work. Uh, been a journalist, been a communications advocate and um, learning that communication skills are a good thing to have in local politics.
0: What made you decide to go from being on the um, side of speaking for someone else to being the actual elected official able to you know speak
1: for yourself in the political realm? Sure. Well, one of the fun facts, Rachel and I did a lot of work together on the other side when I was uh, a director of communications at the ACLU of Missouri. It's a very, very busy stretch for the ACLU at that point. Very busy stretch, right right before uh, President Trump was elected. Um, But that's a whole other, politically speaking, I'm sure. Um, No, I decided to run, uh, one, because um, I am the first Latina ever elected in the city of St. Louis. And one thing over the years is trying to see, you know, make sure that. People are represented, and we had never had anybody from our community be elected um, in the city. So when there was an opportunity to run, I, you know, decided, you know, let's do it, you know, because if not now, then when? And if not me, then who? Uh, that was the short calculus. Why does that distinction
0: matter to you as the first Latina to be represented? There have been uh, men of Latino descent on
1: the board, but as you mentioned, you're the first Hispanic woman to run and win. Well, uh, Latinas are on the rise. I mean, I think they're the fastest growing uh, uh, small business owners. There's a lot of movement, but also it's it's a distinction because it's, you know, I come from news. We want to be accurate, you know, and so Latina being the, the female, you know, version of Latin, Latino, Latino, um, but also just, you know, wanting to make sure we get it right. So
2: you ran against former alderwoman and former recorder of deeds. Jason's
1: my, favorite local
0: my office. My
2: favorite local office, Jennifer, Florida. You won by over a, a little over a thousand votes and it's it, not was, close. it was not a close race. What was it kind of like to run against a somebody who had run many, many times before when this was like your first race yourself?
1: Well, I think in this case, fear might not be a good way to lead, but I think fear is a good way to run for an election. Um, You know, I I, uh, wanted to make sure that I was doing everything that I could um, to run a good campaign and to win. Um, And and so um, no matter even though she my opponent had more experience than I did not, I wanted to um, just do everything I could.
0: You've been on the board now since April of 2023. What's been your first uh, impressions of
1: City Hall? Well, I will tell you that in my, my belief that election years are like dog years. So even though it's been like eight <laughs> months, I don't know, it feels like three or four years. <laughs> I, I once had someone ask me how many election
0: nights I had worked over my career, and I have one every single year as the local politics reporter. But so I get your point.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's been, you know, I it's, every day is an adventure in Aldering. Uh, it, is, um, it is busy and uh, more complex than I think, you know, uh, I realized at the time, I mean, I think what is, you know, coming from both an advocacy background and a corporate background, um, you know, things do tend to move at a, a different pace in government. And I think especially when it comes to legislation, and that is where it's really important, because even though you think you can think things through... You can never think things through <laughs> by yourself, right? So the legislative process, the figuring out those pieces, uh, take more time. Um, you know, I think we're also in a time of transformation at the city. I think, you know, there's a group of us, and I can obviously only speak for myself, that uh, really um, want to transform the way government works for people. I think that it we do have complex social issues to address, and we've got some basic things like city, city services to address. And so figuring out how to make them more efficient um, and then working in a system that, you know, needs some upgrades, um, I think has been uh, a little bit eye-opening. Uh, we've been, we've, we're staffed for the first time. I've got a great legislative aide. Uh, I, I split a, an executive secretary between me and Alderman Narayan. Um, we have team meetings. Um, we're trying to be as in sync as we can. Um, you know, but it's a lot of setting up processes and then figuring out uh, how things work so we can figure out how to make them better. Do you think that you've been able to strike
0: as a board the right balance between addressing those, get the city services operating, and then the larger, broad, policy, systemic processes that need to be changed for the city to work for everyone?
1: I think it's a yes and. I think, I mean, like legislation, I mean, it's a process that's always uh, being tweaked. Um, so, you know, I, I'm really proud of the fact that we passed the water rate increase, not to raise rates because it's not <laughs> the politically. <laughs> no,
2: no, no, nobody really likes paying more for stuff, but continue. Right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> However, it was something that I mean, it was it was well beyond a decade overdue. And that's really for the long term health of our city. And, and and frankly, there's probably some more that we need to do there. Um, I think that short term rentals was, a, was a, um, a bill that took time to it's I mean it's been in the birthing process for like five years before it got signed it's the gestation of an elephant <laughs> yes <laughs> well said is that true wow.
0: no elephants do not have a gestation period of five years but like, it is like two years I was like jeez I was
1: just imagining I was <laughs> you know, like that sounds really big and it would take a long time and be complicated and maybe a little painful exactly it <laughs> sounds like legislation yes. Sounds like the legislative process um so I think that those are things that like striking that balance I mean I think that we've uh, what you're, I think, going to see with the reallocation of ARPA funds um, or things, how ha- things looking at city services. I know that there is a, there's been some ro- some robust conversation a about the reallocation, but b, you know, what can we do for the water department? Um, I've been talking to the president's office and Alderman Alderwoman Schweitzer about, um, you know, what can we do to uh, have more evidence, more data. Uh, about roads so we can make good decisions. Um, so I'd like to see some more of that. So I think we've still got a ways to go. Um, but I think that we are we are doing some things that are striking that balance. We, we
2: have seen some dissension, though, even among so-called allies on the board. Like we, we saw that with this legislation involving the unhoused community, just more generally. Like, is the Board of Aldermen's like ruling faction as united as it seems, or is it really an issue-by-issue issue situation? Or and Are factions just, like, uh, imaginary and they don't really even exist, basically?
0: I, and, and also, too, I mean, is it united as maybe those in the media would like for the narrative purposes?
1: That's so what this says. Like, I don't know if we're looking for factions. I feel like people are looking for factions, you know, among us. Um, I, I don't think we're—I mean, we're 14 people. I mean, you get 14—any 14, 14 people in a room— to talk about this stuff, and you won't have agreements. You know, I think that at least what I've seen so far, I think people are, um, for the most part, committed to listening to each other, committed to learning, committed to kind of seeing, taking a broader approach, which I think has been different in the past. That you know, yes, I may not have had as many water main bursts in the sixth ward as other places, but I still think it's important that we um, we did this. Rate increase for the health of you know the the infrastructure and that's just one example. So I think you know not everybody's going to agree on everything, um, as as you well know and have seen. Um, but I I think and I continue to hope that there's commitment to at least um, being collegial and listening to each other and trying to work some of these things out.
0: Is that there? Is most of the disagreement that you are seeing actually in good faith on policy? Or does it occasionally tip into the being disagreeable and disagreeing just for that sake?
1: Well, I think there's some examples that I could point to that have happened both ways. I think for the most part on the big things, um, people are committed to listening and um, working it out in good faith. You know, obviously, there have been some uh, contentious resolutions uh, in the past few weeks or so that, um, you know, might have been some disagreeing to disagree because uh, we don't actually have any say on foreign policy.
2: It, it would be interesting if the Board of Aldermen could solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict.
0: It would be like an automatic Nobel Peace Prize, I think, for the St. Louis <laughs> Board of Aldermen if Which you solved. I just wanted to be – I, I wanted conflict. to
2: unveil the curtain about what she was talking about. Yeah. Continue. Rachel. I,
0: on that ground, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the legislation that you've got coming up. I mean, is it truly the responsibility and the role of the Board of Aldermen to be taking kind of a stand symbolically on some of these issues? Or should you just kind of – Stay in in your lane when you have, like you said, no impact
1: on foreign policy. I think, you know, For I mean, obviously my colleagues might think differently. I mean, I think, you know, we have a responsibility to uh, we've got plenty of things to work on in St. Louis, plenty of things to work on in the St. Louis region, um, you know, and that's what I'm choosing to focus on.
2: So we've seen some notable disagreements um, between the board and, I think, the mayor's administration, particularly when it comes to the corrections department. There were a number of aldermen who called for the resignation of corrections commissioner Jennifer Clemens Abdullah. I don't know if you were one of those people, but I think that you had been critical of of what's happening at the jail. Um, And there's been... Do do you think that this is a sign that there is some frayed relationship between the alderman and and the mayor? Is this just an example of like the legislature's doing its oversight of the executive and stuff like this is just going to happen regardless of whether the personal relationships are are between yourself and the mayor are solid?
1: It's a great question. I mean, I I do think that um, obviously there's been disagreements between the the branches of government. I think that the CJC is um, a really tough situation all around, right? I mean, I, I, I did not uh, ask for her resignation, but I was signed on to a letter over the summer just about the deplorable, you know, the conditions, because I know it's complicated, you know, but we should not have people dying um, and the numbers that we've that people have died in the CJC. Um, And we know that they're understaffed, and we know that there are, you know, they have a a complex intake process uh, with the people who come in there. Um, You know, as a former reporter, (laughs) it's one of those things where, you know, trying to understand what all is the truth. um, You know, I would like to say everything has been transparent all the way through, and, you know, it has not been. I've had a lot of questions, and we asked a lot—I asked a lot of questions during committee— Um, And so, I mean, I think that you're, there are some things that still, that we have to continue to work, um, I think more openly and collaboratively on between, you know, the branches of government. Um, And I think that there are, you know, there are different approaches. I think that we as, as an alder, I mean, my, you know, I feel like my role is not to necessarily take a side, but to work, you know, with whatever leadership and whatever branch that is, you know, to to create the best outcome for the people. Um, And frankly, I think, you know, we do better as a city when we all work together. And certainly the people have more faith in us when they see a government that is working together and not squabbling, um, which is much easier for me to say here than for it to actually happen in in real life. (laughs) Have you seen things from your perch
0: on the Public Safety Committee improve at all? Or from information that you're getting in, have things actually changed there? Or is that something that you still think needs to happen, even if it isn't to all the way up at the head of the
1: corrections needs to resign? I mean, I think we'll see. I think time will tell. I mean, we passed the DFOB um, bill last week, I believe, recently.
0: The mayor, something
1: like that. Yeah, I think it was last week, and they're waiting on signature. They made mm-hmm. some changes. I
0: lost track of and that it, one, and it
1: was almost unanimous. I think maybe it was like twelve to, you know, uh, we'd have to look. But it was it was by far a majority of the board, um, and I and I think that we'll see. I mean, my hope is that um, with these new changes, that the DFOB can do its job, um, and that there's not a whole new set of things that aren't working right <laughs> in a year. Um, But I think that that's that's part of it. I also think that, you know, being a uh, corrections officer in the city is a really tough job. Oh,
2: that was going to be my next question, because when we had Alderman Rasheen Aldridge on the show, we asked about like what the starting salary for a corrections officer was. And I don't remember what he said, but it It was low. It was was
0: low for the work that they do. it,
2: It was ridiculously low for the dangerous job that they have. And I guess my question for you is, what is the Board of Aldermen doing to make sure that not only there can be like raises that help the current people there, but you can have a sustainable salary level that is going to recruit and retain people in the long run?
1: I mean, that's a city-wide problem, right? I mean, I would, and I would, even, I would even venture to say that's a Missouri-wide problem of just being a state that has low salaries, a state government that pays low salaries, a city government that pays lower salaries. Um, I don't know Kansas City's numbers off the top of my head. Um, But I think when it, everything from corrections officers to um, refuse drivers um, to, you know, police officers, I mean, there's not one department that I think. That doesn't need a pay raise to be competitive. Um, so I would say, you know, what was interesting about being newly elected in this process is that the budgeting process basically has already begun before you get elected. Yeah. There's not a lot of ramp for newly elected older people. Not not a lot at all. And, you know, hopefully that changes with the next elections because I think it's it, it's really um, difficult. But we are here. But also that budgeting process essentially had already, had already begun by the time we were elected. So and, and as the board has limited... Uh, capacity to really alter and change that budget, but I certainly think that, you know, the better we can pay people, the more we can be competitive um, with everything, with, I mean, in in every industry, with, you know, with the county, with all these munis and, like, with private um, organizations, and certainly you're seeing that, you know, kind of mix of, like, this workforce shortage And low pay, you know, Uh, this is kind of like. I I would not be a corrections
2: officer for $40,000 a year in the city of St. Louis. I'm
0: not sure you could pay me enough to be a corrections officer, period. But Jason's point is certainly very well taken. In the interest of journalistic accuracy, the detention facilities oversight board bill we were talking about was perfected. So first round approval locks in the language last week.
1: So we still have to vote on it?
0: Yes. There's still final passage this week. Yes. You are sponsoring a piece of a package of legislation that is aiming at putting some gun regulations in the city of St. Louis. And you've got the bill for defacing firearms. What is the motivation behind this legislation that you want to
1: introduce and what would it do? So defacing a firearm is a fancy legal way of saying sawing off a serial number. Um, And chances are if you're sawing off a serial number, you're probably not up to Good uh, things or non-criminal activity. So, you know, this is part of a slate of bills, um, you know, that a few alders filed, and you know, with you know, with impetus from the mayor's office, I think to draw attention to the fact that you know we have a gun violence problem in the city, um, and you know, frankly, we as local legislators can't regulate um, this these issues as we should, and you know, the state legislators are really out of touch with the urban urban areas and suburban areas. I mean, there's, I can't there's been polling. There's, you know, people want more gun, common sense gun um, regulation. And obviously, you know, CVPA is not in my award, but that it's right across the lines, uh, you know, right across King's Highway. But certainly that was, I think, you know, the example of our city that you can do everything right and you know our state laws are failing us. So you know I think it is um, you know a statement, of course, that we want to be within the bounds of the Constitution. But I think that you know we need to have more um, regulation. Full stop. When it comes to guns, how likely is it? Do you think that with
0: the state's very broad preemption language, any of these laws would survive a legal challenge? And then the follow-up question is. With that being said, is it then again the place of the aldermen to do something like this when they're
1: mostly symbolic because of that state preemption? I mean, great question. I mean, I think it is um, to some extent our role when it's something that is, you know, every day happening in our city gun violence. Um, And it is so clear that people want more regulation. And part of, you know, getting shot or getting the state calling the city out for its level of violence, is that also the state is saying, hey, you can actually fix it.
2: Is it already illegal, though, to saw a, a serial number? Is there already a it state is, law there's that? A federal. Okay.
1: There's a federal law.
2: Okay. So if this – let's just say it, 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 if your bill passes and is, it, it is not declared null and void, what would be the penalties for somebody who gets – caught doing this.
1: It would increase the the, the fine that they would have.
2: Mhm. But there's is there's any incarceration attached to it cuz I don't know if the city of St. Louis can like pass ordinances that lead to incarceration, right? No. Okay. I
1: mean, I I with that ordinance, no, I think the way it's written increases the fine. So I mean, it's not, you know, again, I mean, it's not anything that um I think would would stop the amount of violence. But I think it's this this part of, you know, if we're going to do something. And I think there's been conversations on the state level, of like, is this, you know, and it's not my role as an older person, but as a concerned citizen, somebody concerned about gun violence, um, you know, will this be a something that ends up on a statewide ballot, you know, in the next few years, which, of course, I think that there's talk about.
2: Yeah, it would seem, though, but it would seem that like the biggest deterrent would be the federal prison sentence. Right. Right. If there's already
1: the federal law, which by
0: nature of being the federal law has, you know, stricter penalties behind it. What is the need for the city level ordinance that would just lead to a fine? Isn't the deterrent more likely to happen at the federal
1: level? Well, I think there's also this, you know, part of this is this this growing frustration or this, I shouldn't say it's growing, this frustration with people, with constituents, right? That they they want to see that we're taking action. And, you know, legally, we don't always want to do illegal things, but like we want to be able to, you know, let people know that we are serious about curbing, you know, violence. So is it, is our ordinance, you know... Right. I mean, is it going to be more of a deterrent than federal prison? I mean, it wouldn't be for for me, probably not for somebody else, but I think, you know, it's it's part of this larger message that we want to send both to the people, you know, and to the state government that we, you know, that we need to address gun violence in a serious way. If it isn't a deterrent,
0: is it mostly just doing something to do something though? Like is that again is that sort of what the alderman should be should be doing? Like you're saying we we're doing something on gun violence, but are you actually doing something on gun violence with the federal penalty out there?
1: Well, I think it's a mix of things, right? I mean, I think that you'll see like the things that we're doing for gun violence as a city, I mean, or even public safety in general is, you know, the police officers uh, had the biggest raise, you know, in the past in a long time last year. Um, Certainly, you know, as an alder building relationships with the police department, I've a great relationship with the chief and the commanders in in our area. Um, and so they're different, you know, I mean, it's all part of a, a mix of things to to address it.
2: We'll be right back after this quick break with Alderwoman Daniela Velasquez. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Sixth Ward Alderwoman Daniela Velasquez. I want to talk about the Rams money because that seems to be top of mind of a lot of ordinary citizens right now. Do you have any like general ideas about how you would want to spend the money emanating from the legal settlement over the departure of the St. Louis Rams?
1: So I actually think we should hold off on spending it, at least for a while. Um, I do think that um, waiting till we've spent all our ARPA money um, is the most logical practical thing to do and let it accrue the 12 some odd million dollars a year it's accruing in interest um, because you know whether we want to do something transformational or infrastructure wise or not if we're we're in the process of allocating and reallocating ARPA money now and we can't quite figure out where everything is that's going to be hard to do um, to spend the mo- to spend the Rams money and be spending the ARPA money at the same time
2: right. Uh, How do you think the process for gathering public input has been going so far?
1: Um, I think that there is, there has been a lot of public engagement. I think, you know, um, people, the responses that I've seen, again, the sixth ward had the highest number of return surveys uh, for the Rams money. Uh, uh, Not
0: surprising that was that uh, the old wards that made up the new sixth ward were generally among the highest voter turnout, most civically engaged, etc.
1: Yes. and they have continued that trend. There you go. You Mm -hmm. know, so a lot of people, I think they they want what we've heard is, you know, sort of these practical things like city services and infrastructure. Um, And, you know, there has been talk about some broader, more transformative, perhaps generational things like early childhood education, and certainly the response, I think, has been a mix of we want city services, so trying to balance that.
2: So I did my own public engagement a few weeks ago by making an Instagram video where I pretended to get a $250 million check from Stan Kroenke as a way to solicit answers to the question what you want to do with the Rams money. So
0: did this involve you in the rocking plane? Was that this? Yes,
2: that was the rocking plane. It was not me cloning myself three times, which I which I did recently. Um, And I want to read some of these responses with the understanding that, you know, you don't want to spend this money right away. But, you know, you may want to spend this eventually. And I think some of these ideas are really worth discussing a little bit further. So Lori White wrote, give all the money to public schools and create a fund, an endowment and a private foundation to raise money until St. Louis City schools have as much funding as Clayton's and then keep going. Out of all the responses, this one was the most repetitive one that I got. A lot of people want to see the Rams money go to help St. Louis public schools. What do you think of that overall conceptual idea?
1: Well, I like the idea of an endowment. Um, and that's something that I've been, you know, I would have suggested on the portal myself is, you know, some kind of fund that accrues money that helps us, that we could make it, you know, last longer. Um, you know, I mean, I think the schools are in an interesting position right now in the city. Um, I, I recently read a public radio story that you all had with Ness Sandoval and, you know, the, the number of children leaving the schools and it will affect, you know, funding. So, I mean, I think it's something that we can look into, but certainly I really do like the idea of giving us uh, a cushion like an endowment to for us to use in a different way that we can think about now. There'd have to be legal questions about that though, wouldn't there?
0: Because the money went to the city of St. Louis, not the St. Louis public schools, and you guys are a separate entity. The schools are setting their own budget, they're setting their own tax rates, etc. The board does not manage anything having to do with the schools administratively.
1: Sure. And I should be clear, I think a general endowment fund, I don't necessarily, I would have to look into putting it toward the schools just because there's there's a lot of things happening with the school district right now. Um, But certainly, I think an endowment makes sense for us to make some money and give us some time to figure out how we want to use it the most effectively.
2: Al Bergomi wrote, financing the gutted child care education programs to train teachers to become leaders in the communities. Now for full disclosure, I've sent my three children to a St. Louis City child care center for the last nine years, and they are definitely having staffing problems. And the hours have actually been cut from, you could pick them up at 6.30 to you have to pick them up at 5.30. So this is a real problem that is affecting a lot of people. And that doesn't even get into the whole issue that people cannot find child care facility that is not extremely expensive. But on the other hand, I'm not sure, though, that city government alone should bear that burden. I think it has to be have state and federal involvement, too. What's kind of your thought about that?
1: No, I mean, I agree with the state and federal involvement. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that the city is often caught is that we are we are often um, providing the resources uh, for more than our fair share of the region, right? And I think back to your to your point about, I mean, teachers and childcare. I mean, that's that's where that nexus of we've got a national shortage. We're not paying enough. Um, how do we get people here? You know, I mean, so maybe you know, just brainstorming here with you. I mean, if we had that endowment fund or that twelve million dollars, could that twelve million dollars be like go towards salary increases across the city? You know, and that be like a sustainable. Thing? I
2: don't know. Probably not, to be honest with you. I think it's going to require a lot more than that, but, but you, you know, it could go partly Depends on that. The
0: how good of a fund manager you have.
2: Yeah, that's also a good point. Now, Kelsey Adams wrote, besides wanting money for St. Louis Public Schools, again, we got that a lot, maybe ask MoDOT what they can do over there about our roads and the crumbling potholes and sinkholes everywhere. You, I think you're on the Transportation Committee. Is that correct? Okay. But I also know that there's probably like ARPA money and federal infrastructure money that could go for for roads, too. So is that a good use of the ramps money when there are other buckets of money to use for the city's uh, road infrastructure?
1: Well, I think that's why we should wait to spend it. You know, and we, we could have the same discussion in, you know, the two to three years uh, after we've spent, you know, our ARPA money to see, do we Do we need more money for roads? I mean, we probably will need more money for roads, but I think we'll have a better sense of that. I mean, there is the the board bill one twenty, which allocate. You know, we've allocated more than forty million dollars to streets alone. That's probably not going to cover everything, Uh, but yes, I mean, I think the quality of our streets. Probably, the tire industry is doing really well in St. Louis with uh, all the potholes and. (laughs) Oh my
2: gosh! Yes, I I have changed my tires many times. PhD in Cran doesn't that's that's their name. They didn't put their real name on Instagram. It's
0: their Instagram handle, not their name. Yes.
2: Build better public transit. It should not take an hour or more to get from any city neighborhood to downtown. Now, th- this is where I would push back against using the Ram settlement for this. We passed, cuz I lived in the city, a sales tax in 2017 specifically for MetroLink expansion, and we have not spent a penny on that. And it's been accumulating for, what, five, six, seven, eight years now?
0: Six. I think that was 2017.
2: So uh, I think there has been talks about using that money and getting federal money to expand Metrolink. So I'd, I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. I think that's separate from the Rams discussion. But I do think it's something that the board may take up in the next year or two. So I'd be interested in your opinion on that.
0: I think before that we get to like the Metrolink question, though, she just said better public transit. That doesn't have to be Metrolink expansion. That can be buses. That can be restoring you know, bus routes, increasing bus routes, et cetera. But I think in general, would it be better to use the dedicated
1: sales tax money for public transit or to use RAM's money for public transit? I mean, one, I think we have to see what we have. Uh, two, I think it, it is a it is a long-term commitment, right? From what I've read and understand, I mean, a lot of other states that have a more robust public transportation system, their state is also paying a more robust, con- they're mo- more robustly contributing to those funds. Um, so, I mean, it's, again, one of those things that the city can't do everything alone. Um, and certainly when it comes to transportation, I mean, it's in the city, but we're a region. So I think looking at Um, the state's contribution, uh, and also, you know, what we have, and then making the commitment to build it, right? Because I've heard a lot of conversations about what's being built. Should it go this way? Why don't we have this? Um, But really making that commitment to actually follow through is important.
2: I'm going to ask a really controversial question. If you can't get North-South MetroLink for some reason, is it time to dedicate that money that was meant for MetroLink expansion to something else? Because again, that's been accumulating for a number of years, and I, I would argue that if you're not going to expand Metrolink with it, use the 60 or $70 million for something
1: else. I agree. What, yeah. And that as controversial, as either. <laughs> yeah, I, but that's no, also—I no, mean, think? sixty
0: to seventy million dollars is not going to build the system. It's meant right. to be the local contribution to it. It's not intended to be like, oh, we're going to take thirty-five years to raise the money from the sales
1: tax alone, and we are going to be solely responsible for the alignment. But oh. I think these are broader questions. On, I mean, something that I've been thinking a lot about is—is—is is, is the reality of like what St. Louis is and what it could be, right? So, like, we've been declining in population not a surprise, um, a reality that, you know, we need to think about. We have a city that's built for 800000 and we're less than 300000 We want to recruit and attract more people. What are those things? Like, what does that look like? You know, we've had a conversations about zoning lately. I can tell you just from my brief time as a public servant, um, our zoning maps are not accurate to what the way things actually are. Right. So I think, you know, these isu- these questions about transportation um, and some of these bigger questions about, I mean, in some ways they're existential questions. Um, and then we have to apply, you know, the, the reality of like what is, right? So if we're, and I think that that relates to like transportation, because who are we? What do we want to be? What are we building for? You know, and I think that's kind of at the heart of a lot of like or at least the feels of a lot of these big questions
2: my final comment that I want you to respond to before I let you go photo Flynn on Instagram suggests taller and thicker arch should we spend the Rams money on a second arch yes okay
0: no no <laughs> McDonald. you know what if we want to have the arch completed McDonald's needs to chip in obviously they're right. the golden arch yellow too. yes um, I've always thought that would be an amazing, like, public radio, St. Louis Public Radio, April Fool's Day story is that McDonald's is contributing to finish the arch.
2: On that note, Alderwoman, thank you so much for coming here and talking with us. We will have you back in subsequent years to talk to you about other things that are going down the pike, so to speak. Politically speaking, is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part. Of the University of Missouri-St. Louis, Alderwoman, how can people find you on social media outlets, or how can they get in contact with your office if they need to get a hold of you?
1: Sure. So you can find us on uh, Facebook, where it's Alderwoman Velasquez, um, and on Instagram, Alderwoman Velasquez. Again, I know it's a lot of letters. <laughs> um, and then we actually, you can email us at Sixth Ward, the uh, number six, t h ward at stlewis mogovernor
2: Thank you very much and until next time, so long.
1: a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.